This is Real Estate Rookie episode 333. Instead of going out and buying something that's turnkey, can you identify a property that maybe needs a little bit of love where you can burr that property? Still use the medium-term rental as your exit strategy, right? Where you're, you're buying it, renovating it, and then medium-term renting it. But now you're, you're kind of recycling that same initial capital across multiple, multiple, multiple deals. So a few options for you if I were in your position. My name is Ashley Kerr, and I'm here with my co-host, Tony J. Robinson. And welcome to the Real Estate Rookie Podcast, where every week, twice a week, we bring you the inspiration, motivation, and stories that you really, really need to hear to kickstart your investing journey. And uh, as always, we've got a, a great story coming up for you guys today. We've got Kevin Cullen, and uh, Kevin actually won his way onto the podcast today. We did a, uh, a raffle for folks that pre-ordered our Real Estate Partnerships book, which if you haven't picked up a copy yet, head over to biggerpockets.com slash partnerships, pick up your copy. Um, but Kevin won a, a, a raffle that we did for the book. Yeah. So today, Kevin tells us a little bit about himself and he is a real estate investor and he has kind of a dilemma now about uh, partnering with someone. And so he throws some questions at us to help clarify what is the best route for him to go with this new capital he has coming into his hands that he is receiving from investing in real estate. And also um, he has some potential partners. So we walk through the possible um structure ships he can use. And then he also goes through, you know, some of uh, the options he has as far as what to do with the capital um, that he has for himself and for his partners. So if you want to learn about real estate investing or partnerships, this is the episode for you. So Tony, before we get into the episode, I do have to share something. Um, Confession time. Yes. So uh, today we're not doing a review. So if you guys want to leave us a review, uh, we would really appreciate it. You can leave it on your favorite podcast platform. But uh, there's something that people always say to you and I, like maybe they meet us in person or they're on the podcast with us. And it's when we're together and people say, it really seems like you guys have a genuine connection almost as if they think that it's fake, our friendship. And it's just for the for the podcast. So I received a, a note card in the mail, and I'm going to read this to everyone to prove that our friendship is really genuine, okay? Oh, man, okay, let's hear this. It says, Ashley, thank you so much for my soft blankie and towels and diaper bin. Mommy and daddy will think of you every time they toss my poopy diapers. I can't wait to meet you and the boys. Love, baby Zia. <laughs> I so, love that. So, yes, the, that Tony's wife can tell me in a, in a thank you card that um, they will think of me every time they throw off poopy every diapers. Every time we paint our baby's we, diaper. We are uh, genuine friends, so I just wanted to yeah. – I, I, I really laughed at that. I really enjoyed that card, so. <laughs> so what, what Ashley's reading, uh, Sarah and I sent out thank you cards to everyone who got gifts for, for baby Robinson on the way. So uh, Sarah got a little little humorous with uh, <laughs> with Ashley. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, so you'll have to let her know. I really appreciate that. That Absolutely. was funny. So. <laughs> and, and you'll also be in charge. Auntie Ashley, whenever she's over, she'll be in charge of uh, dirty yeah. diaper duty. But you know what? It doesn't mean you guys will be thinking about me a lot. So that's true. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> well, Ashley, obviously changing poopy diapers is a pretty shitty situation. Uh, but the purpose of today's podcast is to make sure that your partnership doesn't end up like these poopy diapers. So let's get into Kevin's episode. Are current interest rates making you depressed about cash flow? What if it didn't have to be that way? Rent to Retirement has 2.99% seller financing available on turnkey properties. You heard that right. That's a seller financed 2.99% interest rate where the average cash flow is over $900 per month. They also have options where you can put as low as 5% down on multiple investment properties with no PMI. Rent to Retirement is the nation's leading turnkey investment company that understands what it takes to be successful in today's dynamic real estate market. Their reputation speaks for itself with more five-star reviews than any other company on the Bigger Pockets website. Rent to Retirement offers fully turnkey properties that are newly built or renovated, leased and managed, allowing you to invest with confidence in the markets that offer the best returns. To learn more, visit renttoretirement.com. That's rent. T-O-Retirement.com. 
or text REI to 33777. Again, text REI to 33777. If you're in the landlord game, you know the importance of solid tenant screening. That's where Rent Ready steps in. Now, Rent Ready's got an important new feature proof of income verification. And get this, with Plaid certified reports, you'll see everything from income summaries to total earnings by month. So say goodbye to those gut check moments and hello to confidence in renting with Rent Ready. Rent Ready is included in your pro membership at Bigger Pockets. Now, if you're not a pro, they're offering a six month plan for just $1. You can't beat that. So visit rentready.com. That's R-E-N-T-R-E-D-I.com and use the code BP Investor. That's BP, like Bigger Pockets Investor, to get six months of rent ready for $1. Remember when you had to pay to get a Leeds phone number? It was like the dark ages. Until Deal Machine made skip tracing a thing of the past. Now, with your Deal Machine plan, you'll get unlimited access to phone numbers and contact information for no extra cost. That's right. Get high quality, reliable information trusted by leading financial institutions, all fully compliant with the federal do not call list. Explore over 150 data points, including age, gender, marital status, occupation, and a ton more. Trust me, this is the data you need for off-market deals. With new filters, people flags, and color-coded phone numbers, lead management just got a ton easier. Ready to step up your investing game? Sign up for a deal machine plan today and gain immediate access to this unlimited treasure trove of contact information and phone numbers. Just head to dealmachine.com BP. Transform your lead generation and deal-making strategies with Deal Machine. Sign up today and start exploring the unlimited possibilities at dealmachine.com slash BP. Kevin, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for pre-ordering real estate partnerships and winning this uh, chance to come on the show with us. I'm so excited. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks for having me. <laughs> Kevin, I think the I think the big question before we get started is uh, I'm sure you know you've probably read the book cover to cover five or six times so far. (laughs) So I guess just any because this is this is my first time being an author. So uh, just general feedback about uh, the book. I'd love to hear it. I'm going to have to break your heart a little bit. I'm I'm halfway through the book at this point. I was I was planning. I was planning to knock it out this weekend. Uh, I I just didn't have a chance to I'm about halfway through. I, I'm really enjoying it so far. Um, I, I think there are a lot of like really good nuggets, even in, in the first few chapters, um, mm-hmm. just with, you know, uh, just kind of the, the things that you can bring to the table and, and, and th- things you should be looking for as you're looking for partnerships and things like that. So I'm enjoying it so far. I, I, and, I'm, and I'm sorry that I haven't read it cover to cover five <laughs> no, times I'm, yet. I'm you know what, before this, I, we started, you know, recording this, I did say Kevin was a dream guest, but I see I jumped <laughs> I'm, already, I'm already letting you down. I'm already letting you down. So today's show is going to be a little bit different with Kevin. He's actually going to be asking some questions to Tony and I. Um, but Kevin, first, before we get into that, just tell us a little bit about yourself. Uh, sure. Um, grew up in New Mexico. Uh, went to school in uh, beautiful Lubbock, Texas at uh, Texas Tech. Um, I originally I, I went to school for journalism. I uh, spent uh, the first few years of my professional career as a journalist um, in Nashville and then at the Dallas Morning News. Um, and then kind of transitioned into design, uh, UX design, uh, for software companies, um, and have been doing that ever since. Um, and, uh, I've, I've always had an interest in real estate. Um, I've kind of, I, I bought a property. I didn't really know what I was doing in 2016. Um, I, it had a cool spiral staircase. So that was the kind of selling point for me. Um, and, uh, and then, so I lived there and then that eventually transitioned into a, into a rental for me. Um, so that kind of started that, that bug, if you will. Um, but, uh, recently, uh, just kind of have started more seriously falling down the real estate rabbit hole. My girlfriend had sent me a, a podcast, um, that, uh, I don't believe it was a bigger pockets podcast, but it, it was, a. Uh, um, Sarah Weaver was was on it talking about midterm rentals. I believe she's been a guest on your show before. Yeah, um, and she wrote the book Thirty Day Stay. Yeah, 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 yeah. So and so I kind of I, I ended up joining her mentorship program, and that kind of set me down um, this path that I'm on now. And I think it um, it just kind of helped continue my 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 research phase and my kind of I've I've kind of fallen in love with the industry a little bit. So um, 
I, I, I bought my, my first property that's an actual investment property um, this summer uh, in Columbus, Ohio. Um, and so that, that's a duplex there. So that's kind of my first foray into, you know, serious real estate investing, hey, I think. Congratulations. Um, Thank you. Thank you. Um, so yeah, so it's been, it's been a fun journey so far and I, I've, I've really enjoyed, um, just meeting everybody that I've met in the industry. I think that's a, a big selling point for, for, for me in this world is, uh, everybody's so willing to help and, and, um, you know, it, you can just reach out to pretty much anybody and they'll, they'll jump right in and, you know, no questions asked, or at least that's been my experience so far. So I've really enjoyed that. I want to get a little bit more background. So both properties you still have to date, the first condo that you bought, and then you have your duplex. And where are you living now? Are you managing these out of state? Do you live near one of them? Uh, so I, the condo is in Dallas. I, I live in Dallas. Um, I, I also have another property. My girlfriend, my mom, and I went in on a property that my mom lives in, and we midterm rent out a room uh, at that uh, property as well. But uh, the Columbus property, I'm managing from afar, self-managing that. Um, uh, that's the, at least the plan for now. It's currently under uh, undergoing a pretty full rehab. There was one vacant unit and one occupied unit. So the vacant unit is currently under rehab and there's a long-term tenant in the other, but eventually the, that unit will be a midterm that I'm planning to to manage, self-manage from afar. Yeah. And you're even project managing the rehab from afar, I'm assuming. <laughs> I'm doing my best. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's awesome. Yeah. It's, uh, it's been exciting so far. I've, I, I, I've really enjoyed getting to know the kind of the community in Columbus. It's got a pretty good, um, uh, in, in investor infrastructure, I guess you could call it. Um, it's, it's been fun to kind of, um, you know, go into a new market like that and, uh, and, and, you know, just kind of, I, I, you know, I had never done that before. Um, so it's been fun to kind of navigate those waters. Yeah. We actually had Bryn Amber Lee on, uh, I don't remember what episode it was, but she lives in Las Vegas and she has a short-term mm. rental in Columbus, Ohio that she fully renovated um, and put together too. And then she manages that from Las Vegas. Yeah. I've met quite a few people. Uh, I've, I've one, one thing that I've found uh, quite a bit of success with in terms of just networking generally is um, as having the condo here in, in Dallas, um, I'd, you know, been renting to, out to travel nurses and stuff as a midterm rental. And um I've just started reaching out to anybody that posts a unit in Columbus on any of the Facebook groups and, you know, just saying, Hey, I'm, you know, sadly, I'm not interested in renting your unit, but, <laughs> uh, you know, I'm a fellow investor and, you know, would love to chat. And, uh, that's, that's, uh, opened up a few doors for me, which has been really great. And, you know, got some intros to some contractors and cleaners and, and so on and so forth. What a great way to meet people. No one has ever said that before. <laughs> I, I, I've pretty much been every person I talk to. That's kind of my my piece of advice for them because it's, it's yeah, just been so great. fruitful and it's been great. And then I've, we've started, you know, a few a few different groups. We'll, we'll, ch we'll chat on Zoom and stuff. And uh, it's been pretty great so far. Okay. Well, Kevin, you are here today because you get to ask us questions, even though you've already dropped a, a golden nugget for us all of <laughs> how to network and meet with other investors. Um, so let's go ahead and get into your questions that you have on partnerships. Uh, sure. I, just as a little bit of kind of background for me, I, I've, I've got a few, um, some friends of mine from over the years that we've kind of always talked about going in on a, on a project together. And it's kind of become more of a real conversation lately. Um, you know, as we all kind of get to the point in our lives where we do have a little bit of extra cash to spend and things like that. But it has kind of always been something for me where I'm, I'm just curious about, you know, how to go about structuring that. Um, I've, you know, I've listened to tons of bigger pockets podcasts and, and, and things like that and started reading your book, obviously. But, uh, I, I think for me, like the, would you say there's like an ideal structure for your first deal? Um, and like, it's like for me, that's somebody that has a little bit of experience, has a few properties under their belt. Um, I don't know if you have any thoughts on, you know, how to best structure that first partnership and, and how to go about that. Let's go through a couple maybe background questions, Tony. You read my so mind, of, Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So the, the first couple that I would have are, um, what strategy is this going to be for? Uh, so midterm, midterm rentals, long buy and hold. Um, okay. Yeah. And then do you know who would be contributing what already as far as, you know, someone's getting a mortgage or splitting the cash? Do you know any of those details at all yet? Generally, we've kind of just talked about it in, in you know, loose terms. Um, they, I, I feel like there's kind of a, a decent mix of, of potential partners that some of them are, I'll just send you a check and I don't want to do anything but collect mm -hmm. checks after that, you know, uh, and then a, a few of them are kind of somewhere in between there, I think. But uh, I, I think for the most part, um, it would be kind of m me running the 
the show, so to speak, and then uh, them contributing capital for the most part. Yeah. So friends are going to contribute the the capital. Um, I'm assuming that also means that they'll carry the the mortgage. I, I we haven't really gone down that path yet, um, but that is something that I've kind of floated to them, and I I, I think that's definitely a possibility. Um, either that or doing going like the DSCR route as an LLC or something like that. Sure. Okay. And then in terms of acquisition deal analysis, you're going to be handling all of that piece. Yes. And then once you actually close in the property, you'll be responsible for day-to-day management. Mm-hmm. That would be the plan. Gotcha. Yeah. Okay. And then just, just like ballpark, what's the, uh, like, I guess, potential investment amount. Like when you think about down payment, closing cost, uh, startup capital, ballpark, what do you think these other uh, partners might have to put into the deal? Um, it would probably be based on properties I've been looking at probably somewhere if it's two partners or I guess three total, including me, um, probably 50 K for the, if they're bringing the money, you know, or, or anywhere 50 to 75 K probably a piece that would also assume kind of the conventional, you know, 25% down route. Um, there obviously sure. are other ways to go about that with hard money and such, but. And then the last question for me, mo- what's the motivation, uh, for your, for these other partners? Is it that they want you to kind of bring them along and, and show them the ropes? You, t- you touched on this a little bit, but just so I can make sure that I understand, like, is it, you know, that they want to learn this space as well? Or it's just, is this more so just another vehicle for them to get a return on their cash that's better than leaving it sitting in the bank right now? I, I think there's probably a, a good mix of the two of those. Um, I, I probably have, you know, one or two other people that um, are more interested in the, in the, you know, being brought along kind of process. Um, that have, you know, different skill sets that they can bring. But then there are two that are like probably more on the side of, no, I just want my money to make money. I think it's a, a good mix of two, um, but not without much experience from any mm-hmm. of them um, already, if that makes sense. Tony, I think we're going to have the same answer as far as the <laughs> setup, the structure of um, yeah. it legally. And uh, I'm going to say joint venture. Would yours be the same, Tony? I think that's probably the, the easiest way to go. So when you when you think about the the deal, Kevin, when you think about the partnership, first to answer your, I guess to kind of take it back to answer your initial question, no, there's no ideal structure for a first partnership, right? Because mm-hmm. a lot of what's ideal is going to vary depending on those questions that we just asked you, right? Like mm-hmm. how you bring in the capital stack, like you know who's getting the mortgage, who's doing acquisitions, who's going to manage it day to day. I think the thing that's important to remember, and this is for all of our rookies that are listening, is just because someone's bringing the capital doesn't necessarily mean that they have more leverage in a partnership, right? Especially mm. if it's the person, if the person bringing the capital, if they have the option of choosing between leaving it in a bank and losing money to inflation or putting it in the deal with you, you're offering them a better solution, right? So you're, you're truly doing them, uh, not a favor, but you're, you're doing them a, a positive service. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I think that's the important thing to, to point out. Um, I'm going to try not to go too too much off on a, on a tangent here, Ash. So reel me back in if you need me to. Um, <laughs> but I, I think the the first thing I would do is say, okay, if if Kevin's going to be managing the property and you're doing all of the acquisition, you've got a few different ways you can compensate yourself. You can either do it by uh, charging the property some kind of management fee. So you can say, hey, I'm going to take you know, going rate for the short-term rental space is, you know, between 15 to 25%, somewhere in that ballpark. Hey, I'm going to charge the property X amount. And you can say, I'm also going to maybe take a, a small equity piece for, for, you know, doing this as well. So maybe say, Hey, instead of 15%, I'm going to charge 10%, but I'm also going to keep 20% equity. So that's an option. Or you can say, uh, I'm not going to charge any property management fee at all. And I'm going to take, you know, 40% equity in the deal for managing this long term. So Mm -hmm. I I think that's the kind of first idea or decision that you need to make. Yeah. And that goes along with what your goal of this is, is that you want cash like today, you want more cash flow. And that's where it's going to be like kind of nickel and diming for each of those roles and responsibilities that you're doing. Mm -hmm. But also thinking about like down the road, are you going to want to be the property manager forever? If you're not, and one day you say, I don't want to do this anymore, and your partner is like, well, we gave you 20% equity because you were doing that. Now you don't want to, and you just get to be a partner and do nothing now. Well, instead, you can say, well, no, I'm going to give up my 15% management fee, and we'll use that. You know, That's going to someone else. I'm just not getting that anymore. 
So kind of weighing that out as to what kind of ownership do you want for kind of that long-term gain, you know, a little cash flow now, hopefully every month the, the property is performing, you're getting cash flow, but also down the road, when you sell that property, you own that 20%. Um, mm -hmm. So weighing that out, what's more important, do you want more equity and maybe charge less of a management fee? The only thing that I would be um, cautious of is that make sure it's not too low of a management fee where when you do step away, that 8% you're charging won't compare to now the 20% you have to mm -hmm. charge to hire someone else. Um, I think it's definitely uh, fair to not charge an outrageous amount as a management fee, but you don't want it to be a huge shock. Or at least when you're analyzing your deal and running your numbers, you're putting in what the actual going rate is for property management to make sure that if you do step aside, you still will make the cash flow that you want to. And the extra that you're providing right now is just bonus that each partner gets to make. And then as far as the acquisition, um, you know, you could always charge an acquisition fee. So I'm bringing the deal. Um, you know, a lot of people that do syndications, they actually charge, you know, a, a big fee um, because they acquire the property and they also take ownership of the property. And some put money into the, the deal, some don't. They're just getting that because they found the deal. So really thinking about that too. Would you rather take more equity for that long-term play or would you rather take a bigger acquisition fee now and get less equity too, and kind of weigh out those options. Mm -hmm. So you, the first conversation you need to have with your partner is what is their their goal of this? Like what Tony had mentioned this earlier as to, you know, do they want cash flow? Do they want to invest long-term and they are planning for their retirement? What are some of those motivators for them? And then you can kind of, almost like you're negotiating with a seller buying a property, you can say, okay, well, I really just want to increase my net worth and I want to have equity in this property. I want to, you know, have as much ownership as I can with putting as little amount of money as I can into it. And then write that number down. Be like, here's what it would be worth for me to do. Here's the percentage to manage it that it would be worth it. So, you know, make sure that when you're saying I will do it for 15%, that you value your time and you know that it's going to be worth it and you're not going to dread it and you're not going to resent your partners because you're <laughs> doing, you know, all this work and not making a ton of money and they're making a ton of money doing nothing, just being passive partners of the deal. Yeah. I think that's, that's certainly something that kind of, when we first started discussing this, um, I think the assumption was kind of, we would all just bring money to the table and then it would be a partnership. And then that's how we would go about it. And, um, kind of the, the more that I've, I've, you know, learned and, and, you know, uh, kind of delved into this industry, it, it, it you know, I've, that's kind of opened my eyes a little bit to like, Oh, that there is value, you know, that you can bring to the table without having that money piece, uh, coming with you as well. Yeah. And I think that's the biggest thing is just sit down and make that okay, here's the amount of money each person is bringing. And obviously that bears weight, but also the debt who's getting the mortgage in their name, um, especially if you're doing a joint venture agreement, then also list out the roles and responsibilities. So not only the property manager, but also, you know, is someone going to be in charge of, you know, the dispo of the property? Like say you want to, you know, you're going to sell the property in five years. That's the agreement you know, who's going to be in charge of getting the real estate agent? Or is one of you going to act as the agent? Are you going to sell it off, you know, for sale by owner off market, all these things, who's going to do the bookkeeping, who's going to, you know, whose tax preparer is going to handle everything because you have to send that tax preparer the information and then, you know, get the taxes back, distribute the K-1s. And, you know, for my partners, that's my job. And I, get so annoyed when they message me and say, Hey, can I have my K one? And I repeatedly tell them, this is when you are going to have it. And don't worry. It'll be in plenty of time before you have to do your taxes. And then if they ask me like a third time, I will say, would you like to do this? Would you like to be in charge <laughs> of getting the information from the bookkeeper, giving it to the account, the accountant and then distributing it. And they say, no, 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 I'm good. Yeah. <laughs> but like there's so many little nuances like that you don't always think of. And that's where you're just sitting down pen and paper, writing out every role and responsibility for the business and then, you know, kind of dividing it up that way. And how would you go about um, kind of, I guess, I mean, you just went through a pretty long laundry list of, of things to consider. 
Um, is there, is there any way that you would approach like making sure that all your bases are covered, uh, from that perspective, like whether it's a checklist or et cetera, like how did you learn, you know, what, what needed to be done and things like that? Yeah. So going through and just looking at any business, I mean, you just Google, you know, how to operate a business or whatever things that are done with it. Um, but we could kind of go through a checklist right now, Tony, if you wanted. Yeah, for sure. I, before we even go through the checklist, if I can just comment, because you asked a question like, like how did how did I learn? How did Ashley learn? For me, mm -hmm. it was a lot. Uh, initially, it was like trial and error, right? Where it was like we we did a our first partnership, and then we realized all the gaps or things we had forgotten, mm -hmm. and we said, okay, next time let's make sure that we fix for that. And then we did it again, and we said, oh, there's still things that were missing. Then we did it again, like oh, there are still things that were missing. Eventually, we realized. Um, why don't we just sit down with our attorney, someone who's done this a thousand times, walk through kind of what our ideal kind of situation is, and then allow her to kind of poke holes and ask this question and, and that question. And once we have that conversation with her, that's when I feel like we were really able to kind of tighten things up because an attorney, you know, especially if you get the right attorney, they've seen a thousand different contracts and they know what some of the kind of sticking points are that you know, maybe she's seen one partner sue another partner over so they can help you kind of get in front of those things. Like she was one that actually gave me the recommendation to have like a, a term limit for the partnership. So it's like a five-year term for all of our partnerships now. And we all have to sell unless we all agree to extend. Um, she was one that made me think about like, what happens if someone dies? What happens if someone gets divorced? What happens if one of you wants to sell? Like those are things we'd never even really thought of before. We were just thinking more so about like the, uh, the structural component, but your attorney, they're always trying to think about the risk and the risk mitigation. And you know, what happens if things go wrong? How do you solve for those things up front. So for me, a lot of it was uh, trial and error with those initial partnerships, but then really forming a partnership with my attorney to say, hey, here's our goal. Help us understand what the risk and maybe we're, where we're missing things. I, I think that's kind of like the daunting part is like figuring out which which part to do first. Like, do you go to an attorney? Do you go to an, uh, an accountant? Do you go, you know, do you find the deal first? Do you get to finance it? Like, and it's, I, I think, and I, I've seen this, you know, in, you know, various different avenues on bigger pockets or wherever, where it's, you know, that's like the barrier for entry to a lot of people. And I, I think for me that I, it can kind of like seem like so many moving parts, it's hard to know which first step to take. Um, mm -hmm. So I, I really appreciate you saying that. I think the, the first step in your, you've already done the first step, you already have potential partners. So you know that if you do find a, a deal that you have options. And I think so next, I would say would come the deal and then would come the attorney because mm -hmm. depending on the deal, you may change your structure ship may change because of the mm -hmm. deal. So, you know, the way you're going to fund it, maybe this person, this property that you're purchasing, they'll do uh, seller financing. So nobody even needs to go to the bank on that. And then you can go to the attorney. But even before you go to the attorney, make these lists of things of like, OK, Kevin, you know, you want to do these things. Your other partner knows they want to do nothing. Your third partner knows he actually has a great CPA. He wants to be the contact person for the CPA and hand those stuff back and forth. And for anything you don't think of, because like Tony said, we didn't know all of this. We've just accumulated it. And, you know, from running different businesses and different things, you just start to pile all these things on. But you can always put something in your joint venture agreement to kind of cover unexpected tasks or roles that come up. And it could be just something as simple as to like, you know, if someone is has to do something that is outside of their scope of work for, you know, managing this pro project or whatever, they'll, it'll be an hourly rate of $20 per an hour or whatever it could be. But also you could put a list of kind of general Ideas. So if this is something that falls under an admin care category, this is something that falls under maintenance. So maybe you have a, you have to replace a whole HVAC system and you guys want to get bids on it. Well, someone says, well, who does that? Because usually I just make a phone call to a handyman. Now you want me to go out, build a scope of work, bid out the HVAC to be done for these three units, whatever it is that, you know, you have anything that falls under maintenance is kind of under their realm and then kind of categorize it out like leasing, property management, um, capital expenditures, however you want to kind of list out those categories. So if something you don't expect comes up, the person who has to take care of it, you know, whoever, whatever category they were assigned to, too. Awesome. Yeah, that helps clear up a lot of things. I I think that's <laughs> um, 
I think that that's, it's truly like kind of the more, the more daunting piece of it is kind of like figuring out those moving parts. And uh, I, I appreciate the insight for sure. And remember, as long as you're using a legal structure, there is like mm-hmm. nothing <laughs> wrong with it. So, you know, you could, someone could give you a hundred thousand dollars. You could go buy a hundred thousand dollar property and you could own 90% of it and they could use own 10% of it because you guys agreed on it. And that was fine. So as much as we'd love to say like, okay, Kevin, you should take 20%. Your partner should take, you know, 30 and then the other person 50, like that's what you should do. It's, it's, it's hard to say that because you could negotiate something better than that 20% yeah. we're saying. <laughs> I think just one last thing to add to the the partnership piece or to the structure piece is uh, that's why I, I think it's best to test the waters on a new partnership. And you can test the waters in a few way, few ways. You can do it um, by like investment size. So like, hey, it's it's such a small investment that even if that partnership went super south, you wouldn't really be impacted by the amount of capital that you lost. Um, like in your situation, you know, if you're not putting up any capital, uh, you know, you could say, hey, I'm, I'm really not happy with how this partnership is, is working out. Uh, I'm going to give up my equity in this deal. You know, I'll let you guys kind of take it from here. And, and that's one way to do it. You can do it by time duration, which is why I talked about like that five year time horizon. If it's a hold property, you could do it like on a on a short term rehab project or maybe someone something else that, that's kind of time constrained. But I think what some people fail to realize at times is that they can readjust or restructure the partnership if needed. Right. And, uh, you know, it's, it's good to kind of have those alignment meetings with your partner to say, Hey, where's this partnership headed? You know, are the assumptions that we made at the beginning of this partnership still true today? Like I thought that I was going to be putting in five hours a week. Well, I'm really putting in 40, right? Like there, there's an imbalance here and, and do we need to uh, kind of account for that? So the partnership structure that you start with today, uh, assuming you have a, a reasonable partner, if you came to them and said, hey, our initial assumptions aren't lining up with reality. And I think in order for this to continue to be fair, we need to readjust things. Hopefully someone that's reasonable would, would be open to having that discussion as well. I'm going to go ahead and assume the answer is yes to this, but do you have any horror stories where that didn't happen? Where like I, I approached a partner and said, hey, we need to restructure this. And they said, no. Yeah. No, that's it, it's never happened to me. You know, um, I've only had to restructure, I think like, a couple of partnerships and, um, you know, both times, I think it was, uh, you know, I think both sides were kind of fighting for what made the most sense for them. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, we came to an agreement around like, okay, cool. We all feel good with this new structure based on the reality of kind of what's going on. So, um, and hopefully you can kind of suss those things out from someone before you even get into a partnership with them. And if you're, if you're feeling kind of weird about like, would this person be flexible if we needed to change this? And you're like, I don't think so. To me, that's a red flag up front of like, do I even really want to work with this person long-term? That's a great point. For me, I I never had to change an existing partnership, but um, with a partner, we had an LLC and we had a couple properties in the LLC. And then I got this other property under contract and I didn't like the structure of our first partnership. I thought that I was putting in a lot more for this new one. So instead of changing our current LLC. We just opened another LLC where in the first one we were both 50, 50. And in this new one, I was 16, he was 40. So we kept everything existing the same. And then just going forward, things that we put in there was 60, 40 instead too, which he was fine with and it was all fair and everything. And it, it worked out well because we still, we didn't have to change anything that was done in the past that was done evenly 50, 50. And it's, is that typically kind of the, the, the cadence that you see with partnerships, with your partnerships that you've had, where you do start out with like the joint venture and then eventually it makes sense to move into like an LLC and structure it out, like from a percentage perspective like that? Um, or, or is it just kind of a mix depending on the situation? So for me, I'm doing multiple deals with each partner. So we, I started an, well, first of all, the first LLC I started with a partner because I didn't even know what a joint venture was. I think my first (laughs) job ever, I remember seeing a sign on the door that the joint venture owned it or something. There was a sign in the kitchen. I was like, I don't even know what that is. Like, are they venture capitalists? I thought it was about like raising money or something. I had no idea. So I started an LLC because my mentor, he used LLCs on his properties. So I didn't know any better then. But then as I continued on, we are holding our properties. We don't really sell anything. And um, it just worked out that I've had the same three or four partners and we've just kept everything in 
the LLCs we own together and done it that way. And then Tony, you, you've been almost the complete opposite of me. <laughs> yeah. The, the majority of my partnerships are just kind of one-offs. Um, so they've all been uh, joint ventures. We have uh, a couple entities that are like actual partnerships where we have uh, shared ownership in the LLC themselves. But I think if it's just one deal, better, easier to just do it as like a JV between your LLC and that person's LLC. And then if you guys decide to do multiple deals together, then maybe structure one that's kind of all of you uh, sharing ownership just gets a little bit easier that way. And also the strategy too. like I did the joint venture I actually did was a house flip and I partnered with an experienced flipper and we did a joint venture agreement with that because it was just, it wasn't going to be long lasting. And it, in some States it's so expensive to even open an LLC. And if you're only going to use it for a year when you're doing One the time. house flip, yeah, it, it's not worth it at all. So that's definitely another thing to consider. What are the LLC fees? Quick side note. Like I, I started a, like a, an LLC together with a friend of mine for us to start wholesaling and we only did two deals together. And I was still paying, this was back in like 2021, I think is when we did our last wholesale deal. And I've still been paying QuickBook fees, um, our $800 fee for California and my attorneys to file these tax returns for a business that was doing zero activity. And then this year I got the bill for my CPA for like filing the taxes. I was like, can we please just close this out? Like yeah. we haven't done anything in two years. Like why am I still paying anything for this entity? So it can get pricey to Ashley's point if it's not something that's going to be consistent with that, with that person. Gotcha. Yeah. I, I think that's another kind of daunting thing. Uh, and I mean, this is talked about, you know, ad nauseum on the bigger pockets podcast and like where there's so many different ways to, to structure LLCs, like LLCs within LLCs. And like, you know, there are so many different, you know, thoughts out there about how, how you should properly quote unquote, properly structure, uh, you know, uh, either a partnership or even just your own deals. Um, and I think that's kind of like, a, a pretty daunting, uh, task to try to, to, to look at as in terms of like how you structure your, uh, your business too. Yeah. And I think as far as that, that's where, that's the point where you're consulting an attorney as mm -hmm. to, cause you know, you'll hear people having holding companies and under holding companies, they have like the, um, LLC that holds, you know, different re rental properties. Then they have their active flipping business as another one under the holding company and setting up that kind of structure. That's all where you need to go to an attorney to help you, but mm -hmm. not only an attorney, but also a CPA too, and have them work, you know, coincide with each other as to what suits you personally. Um, like if you need to put things into a trust for your kids and all those, those different things, but um, as far as just setting up that first LLC or that first joint venture, not even your first one, but as you're doing that, but if you are going to really grow and scale, that's where you want to consult an attorney to actually set up those different layers of protection that you'll have. So we actually had um, an attorney on episode, I can't think of, that was Brian, wasn't it, Tony? Yeah, I can't remember the episode number either. Maybe our our our, our attorneys, maybe our producers can help us out. We'll, we'll drop the uh, the episode number here. But it was a two parter. Brian Bradley. Brian Bradley. Yeah. One hundred five through one hundred six. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, you guys can go back and check that one out. Um, but it was one of our better performing episodes, and it was all about like asset protection as a real estate investor. So if you if you want to borderline scare yourself out of being a real estate investor, might be a good episode. But also if you're looking just like for that asset protection piece, it's a it's a good place to look. Remember when you had to pay to get a Leeds phone number? It was like the dark ages until Deal Machine made skip tracing a thing of the past. Now with your Deal Machine plan, you'll get unlimited access to phone numbers and contact information for no extra cost. That's right. Get high quality, reliable information trusted by leading financial institutions, all fully compliant with the federal do not call list. Explore over 150 data points, including age, gender, marital status, occupation, and a ton more. Trust me, this is the data you need for off-market deals. With new filters, people flags, and color-coded phone numbers, lead management just got a ton easier. Ready to step up your investing game? Sign up for a Deal Machine plan today and gain immediate access to this unlimited treasure trove of contact information and phone numbers. Just head to dealmachine.com BP. Transform your lead generation and deal-making strategies with Deal Machine. Sign up today and start exploring the unlimited possibilities at dealmachine.com slash BP.
Rookies, I'm telling you right now, it's not every day you find a game changer like Rent Ready. They're not stopping with just tenant screening. Nope, they've now rolled out proof of income verification. So let Rent Ready handle the heavy lifting with automatic checks on financial stability and earnings. Plus, with Plaid certified reports, you'll have all the info you need right at your fingertips. Rent Ready is included in your pro membership at Bigger Pockets, but if you're not a pro, they're offering the six month plan for only $1. How great of a deal is that? So visit rentready.com. That's R E N T R E D I.com and use the code BP Investor. That's BP like Bigger Pockets Investor to get six months of Rent Ready for only $1. Hiring? Your search is over. Really, there's no need to search. Match instead with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates super fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging to hire top talent faster. Speaking of top talent, 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites. But why do I love Indeed? Because I'm busy and scrolling through 300 resumes is not helping my business grow. It's actually making it slow. With Indeed, I can hire faster and know I'm getting someone who can do the job. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to post your jobs with more visibility at Indeed.com slash rookie. Just go to Indeed.com slash rookie right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Indeed.com slash rookie. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Whether you need to buy or sell or you're just obsessed with looking at homes for sale, Redfin's got you covered. Redfin updates their listings every two minutes to help you see new homes first. And they give you personalized recommendations based on the homes you like, so you can find the home that's just right for you, whether that's a cabin, a craftsman, or a castle. With the top-rated Redfin app, you can favorite homes, share listings with others, and schedule tours, even the same day, with a local Redfin agent who can help guide you through the whole home buying process. And if you're looking to sell, Redfin agents have the experience to help get you the best price possible for your home. That's because they sell twice as many homes as other agents. With a listing fee as low as 1%, Redfin's fees are half of what others often charge, which means you'll have more money to put towards what matters most to you, like your next home. In fact, last year, Redfin saved home sellers $127 million. No matter where you are in your real estate journey, Redfin can help. Download the Redfin app to get started today. So Kevin, we, we spent a lot of time, I think, answering that first question. Obviously, Ashley and I can, can talk <laughs> for days on end, um, but I, I know you had a few <laughs> other questions for us as well. Uh, yeah, sure. Um, so this one, I'm, I'm pretty, it's kind of bittersweet. I'm selling my uh, first property that I purchased, my condo. Uh, we're scheduled to close in about a week, um, which is exciting. It's the first property I've ever sold. Give um, us the numbers on it real quick. Like you, you know, why the excitement? Uh, well, so I, I, I purchased it for, for 140, um, in 2016, uh, and it's under contract for 287. Um, wow, you know, awesome. yeah, it's amazing. Did you have to do like any major rehab on it or anything? No, wow, nothing. Cool. Uh, I mean, some paint and whatnot, but yeah, that is uh, super exciting. Congratulations. Thank you. Um, yeah. but I, but from that, I'll, I'll walk away with about 170 K in cash, um, tax free. Cause it was my primary residence for two of the last five years. Um, which is nice. No, no tax maneuvering needed. Um, and so I, one thing I'm just curious is, you know, if you or me uh, kind of just, just starting uh, at least seriously starting in, in real estate um, and you had that kind of that, I don't know, whatever you want to call it, war chest purse, you know, to, uh, to go out and, you know, jumpstart your career, like knowing what you know now, like how would you, how would you structure that? How would, what, what how would you go about that? Um, and, and, you know, with knowing what you know about me and, and my strategy that I've been um, uh, approaching Columbus, Ohio with. How much time do you have on your hands? Like, are you like super busy or do you have time to like be the active investor? Uh, I have a, a good amount of time. I mean, I yeah. have a, I have a day job, um, but, uh, you know, I have a, a good bit of flexibility. Okay. I was just kind of wondering on that as to like, you know, maybe if you were super busy, you really didn't have time to go and research properties, like just even putting it into a syndication deal so that you have some kind of, um, you know, your kind of, uh, what's the word I'm looking for, Tony, your, your portfolio, your diversifying, <laughs> you're diversifying your portfolio. But, um, if you are active, I would say just from what I know is to actually take that money 
and use it for down payments on different types of properties. So if you're going to be doing your partnerships, you know, you're three, say there's three of you, you can buy multiple properties now because you could take that hundred thousand and say, now you can buy, you have enough to put in your portion of the down payment for three properties or whatever that may be. Mm -hmm. But I would say to spread it out. I think that's a, that's great advice, Ashley. I, I think Kevin, like what, what's your, what's your ultimate goal, I guess, with your real estate investing, is it to generate a ton of cash flow in the short term so you can potentially do this full time? Or are you looking more so to subsidize retirement, you know, two decades or however long down the road? I would like to replace my W2 income. So I kind of become, you know, work optional. Um, I, yeah. you know, I have a great job. I'm not, I'm not in a rush to quit my job, but I'm not pulling my hair out every day. Um, right. but, uh, but that is the goal to, to sooner than later replace my W2 income and, and be able to, you know, do this full time if I wanted to. So there, there's a, there's a few strategies that, that you can go after, right? Um, we had coach Chad Carson on, uh, not too long ago to talk about his book, the small and mighty investor. Um, but it's like, how, how can I generate the highest amount of cash flow with potentially the smallest number of units possible? And, you know, you're, you're already kind of venturing into that space with the medium term rentals. So it's like, how can you, how can you double down on that strategy specifically given your unique skill set? So, um, if you've got 170,000 bucks, um, there's some ways you could really make that stretch to give yourself the best chance of generating the highest amount of cash flow possible. Mm -hmm. Um, so one example could be instead of you going out and purchasing a ton of properties, um, you can go the arbitrage route where you're looking for properties in these markets that you already know. Um, and you know, you're, you're subleasing these out and it's going to be a fraction of the, uh, investment because, you know, to, to, I just got three arbitrage units for, I think my total out-of-pocket expense was like. I don't know, 5,000 bucks, you know, to, to secure the leases for all these. And I think we're, we're going to spend maybe another like 5,000 or 6,000 across all three units to get them furnished. So I'm all in for like less than, what is that? 10 grand for three arbitrage units. And imagine if you keep those same economics with $170,000, you could set up a ton of those units, midterm rent them with a strategy that you already know, and then you could be crushing it with $170,000. Now, if you want to balance that out with the ownership piece as well, because maybe that equity is important to you, then yeah, I think Ashley's idea of, of kind of spreading that across multiple properties. But what I, what I would even possibly consider doing, Kevin, is instead of going out and buying something that's turnkey, can you identify a property that maybe needs a little bit of love where you can burr that property, still use the, the medium term rental as your exit strategy, right? Where you're, you're buying it, reno uh, renovating it, and then medium term renting it. Um, but now you're, you're kind of recycling that same uh, initial capital uh, across multiple, multiple, multiple deals. So a few, few options for you if I were in your position. Yeah, especially if you could get, if you do it with your partners or whatever and say all together, the three of you could have, you know, 250000 if you could find a market where that price point is available and you just keep buying with that, the cash you have, you will be mm -hmm. so much more competitive than other buyers because you're not having to get financing. You're not having to deal with a hard money lender. Then you go in and you renovate it and then you refinance it and pull that cash back out and you just keep using that over and over again. And that was part of the reason that I was able to grow and scale in 2017 so fast because I found bigger pockets and I found, oh my gosh, you can get a line of credit on a property. And I would just use my line of credit over and over and over again. And it, you know, it was just, it was so much easier than having to try and figure out how to pay for something because I would just use that, those same funds over and over again. Yeah, I, I think that's certainly something that I've, I've been uh, wondering. Uh, I, I kind of I think I go back and forth on it, whether to kind of try to go like the cash route or, you know, try to do four hard money properties at the time at the same time and do that. You know, it's I, I think it's um, I don't know. I, I think that might be kind of like a mental block or two. It's like figuring like not yeah. making a mistake with that money, you know, I mean, ultimately it, it comes down to the numbers. To be honest, so mm -hmm. look, I don't want you to have, you know, you're overwhelmed looking at properties because you're like, well, at this point I can buy cash, this price point I can do down payment. Now I need to find three properties like that. And it kind of, you know, expands your buy box, which takes up more of your time and you're not as efficient and effective at analyzing mm -hmm. properties. But, you know, take your two options of, okay, here's a property I could buy in all cash. 
run the numbers. What's your cash on cash return on it? What's your cash flow? You know, are you going to, can you, you know, guess at any kind of appreciation in the area? Are there any market trends showing that it's going to appreciate? And then take the three other ones that you put down payments on or something and, you know, analyze those. And in five years, what's the outcome? And kind of, or, and then even look at your cash on cash return in the first year and just compare all of the numbers. And that may even give you a better answer than Tony and I can because you're looking at the actual facts of the property on paper. Um, and that's really the best route to go as to where you're going to get the best return. The only thing is, is that it's so easy to get caught up in that analysis paralysis that you never take action because it's better to not get the best option. And to get something that's good, but not as great as something else, because you're still taking action, you're still moving yourself forward. And that's something I see a lot is people have that $100,000 and they don't know which is going to be the greatest return they can get. So they actually never even do anything with it because they and then they just sit on it because they want to maximize it, which I totally mm -hmm. get. But taking no taking a little action is better than no action. I, I think that was kind of the, the, the thought process I took, uh, behind my first deal in Columbus. It was, it's, it probably wasn't the best deal. Um, but I did want to get started. Uh, I didn't want to get, you know, stuck in that, in that analysis paralysis phase. And I, I think I, I, I try to preach that as much as I can, um, at this point, but, uh, I, I definitely agree that there's, there's something to be said for, for the action piece of things, uh, and not just kind of sitting back waiting for that perfect deal. Um, because I, like I, I've seen even just in my short time kind of being uh, more immersed in this world, I, I've seen a lot of people do that um, mm -hmm. already. Um, and it's, it's, it's something, something I didn't want to fall into. And I, I definitely don't want to fall into that with this, with this next uh, step as well. And you have amazing opportunity. You have options. You are going to have this lump sum of cash. You have people that want to partner with you. You have experience. So you're ideal for a hard money lender. Like you are in a great a position as to having all these options of how to buy a property. Awesome. So Kevin, in the last couple of minutes we have here, do you have one last question you want to ask? Uh, sure. I, this is kind of something that I haven't, you know, delved too far down the rabbit hole on, but um, uh, just the, where and how you find uh, off market deals, how, where you found the best success. Um, if you have any advice for kind of the first Avenue uh, to take, with finding off market deals, um, you know, that's kind of one of those things where there, there's so many different avenues, it seems. Um, and I, I would just be curious to hear your insights on, on how you've found uh, the most success and what you think a, a rookie investor should kind of what avenue they should take, uh, maybe that first step. So I think, too, that everyone should be doing. I don't think that everybody should go to out and do every single option because it comes overwhelming and you should focus on one strategy of sourcing deals, but there are two that are super easy to do that everyone should be doing. And that's telling anyone and everyone what you are looking for because word of mouth referrals are, have been some of my best deals. And those are, they're like freebies. All you have to do is talk about real estate. And then someone says, Hey, my cousin wants to sell their house. And then you make that connection. You don't have to pay for it. You don't have to do anything. So telling anyone and everyone about what you are looking for, and then also the next thing is just making connections with real estate agents for pocket listings. So these are listings that the agents, you know, somebody has talked to the agent about selling their house, but they haven't put it on the MLS yet. And then the agent may come to you and say, I have this property. It's not going up for market. You can have first dibs at it. And that's I'm actually closing on a property on Friday that happened with that. Um, it didn't go on to the market. I put in, I told them I'd pay what they were asking um, before they did. And we agreed and we signed the contract and never actually hit the MLS for that, that bidding war. And that was just from making connections with real estate agents. And that didn't cost me anything. And that didn't really put any work in, in at all either. So, and then the third thing that I have personally done that worked really well for me is a direct mail campaign. Um, is going and pulling a list. I used PropStream. And um, then from there, we were looking for uh, waterfront property, lake houses at the time. So that's what we set our criteria at. And then um, we did it, I think, like under 1,500 square feet because we knew we couldn't uh, afford anything <laughs> more than that <laughs> to purchase. But um, I just set like, you know, at least two bathrooms, different things like that we put on there. But as far as, um, and then we did, um, high equity 
in the property. That was another filter we had put into it. And then we did a, a mail campaign and sent out postcards to everyone. And that was our, my most successful off market sourcing deals as to the amount of responses that we got. Yeah. I think a lot of my experience kind of echoes what, what Ashley said. Uh, the, the relationship piece has been pretty big for me, uh, with, with realtors. Uh, that's how we found quite a few of our, our off market deals. Let's say the majority of our off market deals have come from, you know, just friendships that we've built with agents in the markets that we work in. And if a buyer falls out of escrow, or if there's a property that maybe the seller wants to keep it a little bit more low key, uh, whatever the reason is, right? We found quite a few deals through relationships with agents. Um, and then also just like working with wholesalers. If you go to your local real estate meetup, chances are there's at least a small handful of wholesalers that are there. And if you just, you know, get up in front of the mic or whatever, walk around and introduce yourself to people say, Hey, I'm looking for these types of deals in these markets. You know, a lot of times these are newer wholesalers too, at these, these meetups. So they're hungry for buyers. And a lot of times that's why they're even going to these meetups in the first place. So I think just networking in your, your local area is a, is a good place to find those off market deals as well. And then we we recently had uh, Nate Robbins uh, on the podcast. If you go back to episode three twenty six, um, Nate does an incredible job of breaking down um, how he sourced tons of off market deals uh, for his business. So episode three twenty six with Nate Robbins. But yeah, Kevin, I, I think all those strategies are ones you can kind of put into your tool belt and kind of use as needed. Awesome. Do, do you have any advice on that, like that first off market deal to avoid like the fear of the unknown? I guess. What do you mean? Like what part unknown? Uh, yeah. You know, just not having like, say it's with not with a real estate agent and you're kind of doing mm -hmm. it on your own. Um, you kind of, you, you know, the, that um, that safety net is kind of sure. gone, um, so to speak. Uh, do you have any advice for kind of getting getting past that, I guess? I think it's an advantage because you get to talk to the seller directly and focus mm -hmm. on that. Um, because you can still you can still do an inspection, which your real estate agent doesn't really inspect the property with you as far as, you know, things that are wrong with it. You can still do that. Then as far as the contract, um, I, in New York State, you have to use a real estate attorney anyway. So my attorney does the contracts. And Tony, I think you've had your title company do a contract for you before. Yeah. 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 Uh, my talent escrow company does it for us. So that, that would kind of, you know, cover your bases there. Is there anything like specific you're thinking of? Um, not, not specifically, uh, yeah. just kind of generally it's, 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 you know, it can seem a little daunting. The hand holding. You're, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think just think you're cutting out the middleman and like, I love real estate agents. I hate doing paperwork. I love everything that they do for me. But also I, when I am direct with the seller, I get to find out their motivation. I get answers straight from them. It's not going from them to their agent, to my agent. Then to me, it's like playing telephone things sometimes get, you know, misinterpreted. Um, so I like think of all the advantages of going direct to seller that you can have. I think just one last thing, and this is just for everyone that's listening. If you do go off market, uh, still use some kind of intermediary to handle the uh, like cash. Um, so mm -hmm. I'd never send money directly to a seller for an earnest money deposit. If you're working with the wholesaler, I would never send cash directly to a wholesaler for your earnest money deposit. Send it to escrow. Let escrow make sure that all the paperwork is filed correctly. Um, that way, when you buy the property, that you you know that you're actually buying the property. Because a, uh, I had a friend of mine who bought a property and uh, or was in the process of buying a property and turns out that like the previous transaction wasn't done correctly so there was actually someone else who had a claim to the property the person who was trying to buy it from technically technically didn't even have the right to sell it to him <laughs> so um just make sure that you have uh, your your i's dotted and your t's crossed and your title and escrow company can typically do that for you and when tony says escrow that basically is a bank account that's managed mm -hmm. by a third party intermediary such as an attorney or the title company that will hold the funds until both parties, you know, you've closed on the property or whatever the agreement is in the contract, and then those funds will be released. So even if you close on a property, I had a property where there was $3,000 that held in escrow after we closed on the property. If the tenant didn't move out when they said they were going to move out, they I would have to forfeit those $3,000 to the buyer to pay for attorney fees to file an eviction. Um, luckily the tenant did move out, so I got my money back, but, um, that's just what Tony means. It's just, you know, an intermediary holding the funds in a bank account 
and having it released upon the terms of whatever the contract is. Well, Kevin, thank you so much for coming on the episode today. We really appreciate you taking the time and uh, for checking out half of our book, Real Estate Partnerships. <laughs> yeah, thanks, thanks for having me. I, I think I think this was awesome. I, I think you guys uh, provided a lot of you know very actionable uh, items. So I, I really appreciate you taking the time and and uh, and having me on. Yeah. And congratulations on all your success so far. Um, I, I'm glad that we got to have somebody on that has a little bit of experience to kind of share their journey too. That was interesting to learn about. Awesome. Okay. Well, Kevin, uh, please let everyone know where they can find out some more information about you and reach out to you. Uh, you can find me on Bigger Pockets. Um, I'm, I'm Kevin M. Cullen on pretty much every social platform, I think, except Facebook maybe, but um, Kevin M. Cullen on Twitter, Instagram. Um, not that I post often, but, uh, I'm on there. Um, but yeah, bigger pockets is probably the best. I uh, would love to, would love to meet and chat with anybody. Meeting people is one of my favorite things. So, um, please reach out and, uh, let's chat. Hey, awesome. I'm Ashley at wealth from rentals and he's Tony at Tony J Robinson. And we will be back on Saturday with a rookie reply. Getting started in real estate can be daunting. There's so much to know, obstacles to overcome, lessons to learn, and risks to avoid. It can all be so overwhelming. If you're feeling motivated to invest, but too overwhelmed to take action, here's some advice. Take it one step at a time. And here's some good news for you. The Rookie Bootcamp is starting on May 20th, and Tyler and Ashley will be guiding you through each and every step until you're the proud, confident owner of your first investment property. Through eight action-packed weeks, they'll guide you step-by-step through those first questions, decisions, and obstacles that every beginner investor must overcome. So if you're serious about becoming an investor this year, head to biggerpockets.com step and join us in the Rookie Bootcamp. See you there. The content of this podcast is for informational purposes only. Past performance is not indicative of future results, and all host and participant opinions are their own. Investment in any asset, real estate included, involves risk. Use your best judgment and consult with qualified advisors before investing. Only risk capital you can afford to lose. Bigger Pockets LLC disclaims all liability for direct, indirect, consequential, or other damages arising from reliance upon information presented in this podcast.